Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We uh, hope in our second segment today to uh, go down to Lodi to speak to Mr. Milo Radulovich, the uh, the man around whom the... Um, the events of 1954, when Edward R. Murrow confronted Joe McCarthy, uh, pivoted. He was the, the hinge upon which uh, uh, McCarthy was able to move the nation a bit with uh, the power of his television broadcast. This, of course, is celebrated in the current movie, out in theaters. Good night and good luck. We, of course, have highly recommended this film before. We will do so again, and we would like to have Mr. Radulovich, if possible, explain a little bit about what happened back in 1954. Stay tuned for that. And before we get into our usual starting of the program, there's a little plug I want to put in for a showing here in the local area of something I think a lot of you folks might be interested in. This is the Robert Greenwald documentary, The High Price of Low Cost. Here to tell us about that is uh, our old friend, James Israel. James. Yeah. Uh, welcome back. All right. Hi. How are you? We're, we're okay. Um, I, I wanted you to tell our listeners about uh, the Greenwald documentary, because I know the Comic Press News has something to do with it. Well, we're presenting it at the Crest tonight, uh, 7 o'clock, Crest Theater, Sacramento. And uh, beforehand, there's a little performance by the Free Huge Comedy Troupe. Uh, we've been selling a lot of advanced tickets, so uh, we don't really expect it to sell out, but it wouldn't hurt to call and order tickets to make sure you can get in. Well, we seem fairly uh, fairly certain that a lot of our listeners here on, on KDVS Public Affairs uh, programming will want to attend that, uh, that, um, that showing. And the crest is 10th and K? 10th and K, uh, downtown Sacramento. And if you uh, park in the lot... Nearby there between uh, K and L on 10th, uh, they'll validate the uh, the parking thing. All right. Is this, is this the premiere for Northern California or, or our area? There's actually a lot of little showings. The way they distributed this film is very unique. They uh, got a lot of house showings all over the country, uh, you know, where people just invite a few people over. And then there's a few theater showings. This is... Uh, one of the larger ones, I believe. Um, we're going to be in the big room at the Crest, so we could get as many as 900-plus uh, people in there. All right. And uh, so we're hoping for a lot of people and a big happening kind of thing. All right. Well, I, we wish you well with that, and hopefully I will, will join you after the show here. Uh, I'll head on over there, and, and we'll give a report on how that went maybe next week. All right. That sounds good. All right, James. Thanks. Thanks a lot. 
That was James Israel of the Comic Press News, which you are probably familiar with. We, we hope you are. It's a good publication. Very funny cartoons comes out monthly. We, uh, we do hope that the uh, director of, uh, and producer of, of this documentary on Walmart will return to our show. Robert Greenwald, a great guest. We had him on last year and, and hope, like I say, to, to do it again. On this date in history, November 17th in the year 1825, the U.S. Congress formally adopts an Indian removal policy east of the Mississippi River, which was carried out extensively in the 1830s by Presidents Andrew Jackson and Martin Van Buren. This is how we had Indians who originated in Florida winding up in Oklahoma. On this date in 1944, following the murder of Lord Moyne, a British official in the Middle East, Prime Minister Winston Churchill warned Zionist terrorists that continued actions will damage their cause, and he called upon the Jewish community to better police itself. But most interesting for this correspondent is what happened on this date in 1913. The first ship sailed through the Panama Canal, which was built by the United States on the Isthmus of Panama. It so happens that this correspondent, uh, not two days ago, was witnessing the transit of a large cargo vessel through the Miraflores Lock on the Panama Canal. I must tell you, it was pretty interesting watching what looked like little, uh, little locomotives, little engines coming in and acting as, as tow trucks to grab a hold of vessels that were almost a thousand feet in length. Uh, I saw a cargo container pulled into the lock, which they can drain, uh, they can drain the lock and fill it about as fast as you can your bathtub at home. It's quite impressive. The lock is like a thousand feet long, so they bring in ships that are like 960 something feet. And what really, what really uh, amazes a person, amazed me anyway, was the fact that uh, when they fill up the lock, these ships are built to have like two feet of clearance <laughs> between their sides and uh, the walls of, of the, the cement walls of the lock. And uh, they pull this thing in with incredible precision, drag it along the full length, and then fill it, you know, basically release the water and drop it down, and this ship sails from what had been the Atlantic side into the Pacific side. They have a visitor center there at uh, the Miraflores Lock, and they, uh, they did explain that the, uh, the door that you saw moving that uh, retained the water was the original. It was still in place, uh, having started in 1913 when that first ship passed through. If you ever get a chance to travel down to the Republic of Panama, I certainly would uh, suggest that you take a look at, uh, at, at, the, at the canal itself. And a great bit of trivia, should anyone ask you uh, which ocean you transit when you go west to east in Panama, the correct answer is you go from the Atlantic in the west to the, to the Pacific in the east, or at least it's more like northwest to southeast, but nevertheless... Uh, it's got a curly cue in the shape of, uh, of the isthmus, so you actually start out going west to east, going Atlantic to Pacific. Now you know. You're, you're on your own in how you're going to set up a bar bet that you can win with that one. But interesting tie-in while we're talking about uh, ships and, 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 uh, and Panama, a New Scientist magazine noted that uh, the practice, a basic loophole in international law that allows uh, shipbuilders and, and operators to register under what are called flags of convenience. An article in the uh, New Scientist November 5 issue 
points out that many nations license ships that don't even have a coastline. You can register your ship, in fact, with the Republic of Bolivia. Well, now, why would you do such a thing? Actually, Panama uh, is enormously popular place to register ships. Uh, there are hundreds of ships which are, you know, out of convenience registered in Panama because Panama doesn't enforce a lot of laws. You pay a trivial sum, several hundred dollars, your ship gets registered, then you get to fly the Panamanian flag as you sail about on the high seas. You often hear about like, you know, a Panamanian freighter or a Liberian ship, and uh, these ships were not made or docked at any time in these countries. They just, you know, it's the flag they fly because that's where they register them. A consequence of this is that the nations that do very poor monitoring of uh, of the ships registered under their name don't, don't crack down on them. The article quotes the Australian Fisheries Minister Ian MacDonald noting that uh, the fact that uh, new boats are being built specifically for illegal activity demonstrates the critical need for something to be done about this situation. And it was interesting that uh, while this uh, cargo vessel transited the canal. It was flying the Panamanian flag. The announcer said this does not entitle them to a discount. Well, perhaps, uh, perhaps uh, one, one good consequence of a greater globalization and, and, and international agreements on, on commerce is that uh, they can close this loophole and uh, better enforce international maritime laws. We certainly hope so. All right, uh, this headline just in courtesy of our correspondent, Julie. Uh, this actually comes from the Onion desk calendar. Headline, jury selection proving difficult in trial of the jury killer. Another one that pains us a bit, but uh, does make us chuckle is another Onion headline. New planet discovered 400 light years away from public's interest. We, we dedicate that one especially to our, our good friend, Franz. All right, we got a few statistics for you on today's program. This comes from a little, uh, little uh, clipping sent me by James Carville, soliciting my aid in some sort of Democratic uh, campaign. I'm not sure, but I did like some of the numbers he sent. Number number one, amount spent on Iraq war as of October 7th, 2005, $350 billion. Yes, that's money we're not going to spend on schools, we're not going to spend on roads, we're not going to spend on medical care, we're not going to spend on Tamiflu, we're not going to build new hospitals with. Money spent to the military-industrial complex for the war on Iraq. This contrasts with the number of weapons of mass destruction found in Iraq, which, of course, you are well aware is zero. Mr. Carville, who we, we should remind you is a Democratic Party operative of the highest order, uh, and therefore not maybe the most unbiased person in the world, nevertheless does point out, I believe correctly, that the number of vacation days which George W. Bush has taken so far in five years of his presidency is at least 345, which is apparently a presidential record with him having over three years yet to go. We don't know how many he'll rack up in the end, but let's just say it's going to be an impressive total, probably will withstand the test of time for many generations. This contrasts with the number of mistakes that George W. Bush has admitted making during his five years to date. Um, well, that number would be zero. Of course, we do think, in contrasting this, this statistic about George Bush on vacation, well, 
you know, maybe he'll just get into a little bit less mischief if he's on his ranch at Crawford. We hope so. My head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. Speaking of U.S. authorities, the uh, New Scientist magazine notes with uh, a great deal of disapproval that the reconstructed version of the virus that caused the 1918 flu pandemic evidently will not be stored at the highest level of biological containment. No. U.S. health authorities have decreed that the virus can be researched at facilities that meet the second highest containment level for handling potential bioweapons. Critics say the decision will increase the odds that the virus will escape. And, oh my gosh, we hope not. couple little... Uh, Items of, of, of interest from the science pages, also from the same magazine, the same page, actually, that I'm staring down at. Uh, apparently, speaking of ship canals, the one they cut in New Orleans that, uh, that, act, that allows uh, shipping to save 60 kilometers of travel along the winding Mississippi, it's basically a, a, an outlet to the Mississippi River Gulf outlet, uh, allowed Hurricane Katrina to funnel large amounts of water directly at downtown New Orleans. Hello? Magazine notes that in August, Hassan Mashriki of Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge had run simulations showing that the MRGO would funnel storm surges from the Gulf and Lake Borgna into New Orleans. He predicted that a surge of two to three meters per second would breach the walls of the Industrial Canal, which joins with the MRGO, and flood low-lying areas. It turned out those predictions were completely correct. And I don't know whether any of you heard about this. I certainly hadn't. Do you know that we have an astronaut who's stranded at the International Space Station? Apparently, Bill MacArthur has been stuck up there with some of the delays due to the problems with the shuttle. And, uh, and although he was supposed to come down last April, they think he's going to have to stay up there through next May. Uh, apparently, part of the problem him him being stuck up there is he can't come down on a Russian um, um, space capsule because of a law in 2000, which uh, was prevented, which was designed to prevent the spread of nuclear technology from Russia to Iran. There's a clause in it that makes it illegal for the U.S. to pay for rides to the ISS unless the White House is satisfied Russia is not selling nuclear technology to Iran. Anyway, American and Russian authorities are working out how they can bring home uh, Bill MacArthur on one of the Soyuz spacecraft. Actually, I think I, I, mis I misread this. Uh, the details are at the last Soyuz they got up to the space station in September. It's coming down in April, but the way it stands right now, MacArthur won't be on it when it returns to the Earth, and they're not going to even launch a shuttle until next May, so... Hopefully the, uh, the, the, the legal authorities of the two nations can hammer out their differences and get poor Bill back down on uh, terra firma. We, of course, want to thank uh, our producer, Mr. McMillan, for those fine little musical accompaniments he brings in to, uh, to perk up uh, the broadcasts. That was, of course, the theme from Lost in Space, one of the epically terrible television programs of the 1960s, which nevertheless had a pretty good theme song. ¶¶ 
check the current issue of uh, Discover Magazine to note how far robots have come since uh, the initial Robbie the Robot appeared in uh, The Forbidden Planet back in the 1950s. Uh, Robbie got recycled a bit into a robot they used on uh, on that television program Lost in Space and of course uh, as sometimes happens in the world technology has just about just about caught up with what was pure science fiction just 40 years ago. But anyway, the uh, the slightly uh, the slightly disjointed and addled uh, radio host who's just come back from vacation must be grateful for the Week magazine for its uh, succinct um, views of the news. We in particular love to do the Good Week Four, Bad Week Four section from the week, and I've got a few of those in front of me, which which we should at this point go to. Uh, we're going to combine a couple of uh, a couple of uh, of issues here. Nevertheless, we'll just say the last couple of weeks have been good weeks for having it your way. <laughs> After a 78-year-old man accidentally crashed his car through the window of his local Burger King, he then backed up, parked in the lot, and ordered breakfast as if nothing had happened. It, uh, on the other hand, was a bad week for Big Mac attacks after McDonald's bowed to legal pressure and announced it would put the calorie, fat, and salt content of its burgers, fries, and other products on the wrappers. It was a bad week for tact in recent weeks after a flight attendant on Britannia Airways announced the captain was unhappy with the weight distribution in the cabin and he needed eight fat people sitting in rows 31 to 42 to sit nearer the front. She was staring right at me, said Peter Harrison, who weighs more than 300 pounds. (laughs) On the other hand, it was judged a good week for non-sequiturs after a Japanese woman, troubled by the state of the world, traveled to India and buried herself in a 15-foot deep pit for three days. After emerging, she said, I'm very happy that love and peace will be there. And no, we don't get it either. (laughs) The magazine notes it was a bad week for the letter of the law after a Turkish court fined 20 Kurds for using the letters Q and W on placards celebrating the Kurdish New Year. A seldom enforced law forbids the use of characters not belonging to the Turkish alphabet. Turkish Players of Scrabble, beware. And uh, our favorite, they judged it a good week for, but we have to say it was surely a bad week for the fine arts. With the news that Russian billionaires are paying $500,000 for statues of themselves with enormous penises. Not just uh, enlarged penises, but apparently also three pairs of testicles. The price did not trouble him at all, said sculptor Jonathan Meese of his latest client. Russians have learned to appreciate the fine arts. And let us close with what I would probably call the uh, don't they have something better to do file. News item, Amherst Regional High School in New Hampshire has now banned the term freshman on the grounds that ninth grader is a more gender neutral term. Assistant Principal Marta Guevara said the faculty began discussing the change after having its consciousness raised 
by a production of The Vagina Monologues two years ago. Guevara said the new term will raise student awareness of misogynistic, oppressive, or non-inclusive language. We at Radio Parallax will continue to use the term freshman as we see fit. In addition, we plan to continue using the term manhole cover, chairman, and congressman. We have decided to take this editorial stance on this program because of the famous episode of the Cowell Health Center at UC Berkeley some time ago in what we judge to be an overzealous attempt to correct the English language and removing sexism. They described in the health manual the condom as a sheath of rubber that fits over the end of a person's penis. And on that note, let us take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax on KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. I'm your host, Douglas Everett, and we'll be back with a lot more fun, we hope, in our second and third segments here. So, don't go away. (laughs) 